Now, I'm told I don't need this, but I'm going to put it on all the same. Okay? Now, if for a moment um, I can wear my street You heard Jan say that she was out last night, um, and I hope she's cleaned up the mess for me, because I'm out tonight. But that's not what I wanted to say. What I wanted to say is that in the last few times that we have been out as street busters, we have had what we call faith conversations. Uh, One in particular, which I won't go into now, but it was very, very meaningful. And uh, one of the pub owners actually asked one of our street pastors to pray for him in an open pub, very tearful because of the loss of someone. And we always, when we go out as street pastors, pray that we might have these faith conversations. So pray that that will happen tonight too. Uh, Incidentally, um, you may not ever feel you can go on the street as a street pastor, but you may uh, feel, as my wife does, that you would like to pray for street pastors. And my wife produces a letter every month with some prayer and praise items on there and a rota of those who are going out. And if you feel that you would like to be involved with that, please let me or Jan know at the end of the service and we would appreciate that. Um, If we could have the first slide on. Thank you very much. Um, The the passage uh, that we have had read to us speaks of a non-Jewish woman, a Syro-Phoenician woman, as she's known, Um, coming and pouring out her heart to Jesus because her daughter, who's at home, is possessed with an evil spirit. And in Matthew's account of this same incident, Jesus said this to the woman, You have great faith, your request is granted, and her daughter was healed that very hour. Now, I don't know um, how that leaves you feeling. Uh, On the one hand, you could thank God for the spiritual healing he's brought into your life. He's delivered you from evil, he has saved you, and you are a child of God. Or you could even thank God for a physical healing, which I'll talk about later in my talk. But on the other hand, you could think of this passage as being a great challenge to your own faith. Is the Lord able to say to you, is the Lord able to say to me, as he did to that woman, you have great faith? I suspect with many of us that is not the case and we despair at times because of our lack of faith, that uh, we're not like that woman. So, using that woman as a supreme example of faith, uh, I want us this morning to see how we can strengthen our faith. And first of all, I want to put my heart on my sleeve and to tell you 
that my wife, Chris, who many of you know, um, finds it much easier to trust in God when we have difficulties, as we all have, than I can. Uh, we've analysed that, and my, my wife, um, again, some of you will know, was a, a pastor's daughter, um, and at a time when they were paid very, very poorly, and they had to trust God for everything. Trust God for physical healing, trust God for financial needs, and often mysteriously in the home in Falmouth where my father-in-law pastored a church, mysterious food box would appear on the doorstep and it kept them going. So when we have difficulties, my wife's trust in God is often much stronger than mine. So I speak as much to myself as I do to you this morning. Now, there are um, a number of factors that can work against our faith. For instance, by nature, we could be like one of the Lord's disciples, Philip. When Jesus, you will recall the story, challenged his disciples to feed a crowd of people, uh, Philip, cool and calculating as he was, said eight months' wages would not be enough bread for each of them to have even a morsel or just a bite. You can see he'd worked it all out in his mind. And if it didn't work out in calculation, then it wouldn't work out in practice. Now, I confess to being a little like that myself, very analytical. Now, while in some matters that might be a good thing, in other ways it actually works against our faith. Sometimes I think the Lord has to say to us, notwithstanding the difficulties, notwithstanding the problems, the seeming impossibilities, I want to do this for you and I want to do that for you. And when God says go, then true faith will always respond with I will. But almost certainly in the congregation this morning will be those of you who feel that right now something is working against your faith. That could be a number of things. So that question, uh, what about your faith, comes as a very, very real challenge. Now, car owners here will know that um, one of the things you have to check regularly is the oil in the engine. Uh, because services are a long way apart now, sometimes we forget to do that. But the cleanliness of the oil in the engine is vital for the health of the engine. It's what keeps the moving parts running smoothly. And that's why when the oil gets dirty, and on my car it comes up with 30%, 20%, and then it warns me, that it needs to be changed. And what oil is to a car engine, so is faith to our Christian life. It's what keeps us going, so it needs to be regularly checked. But I need to tell you that just as there is a right way and a wrong way of checking um, the amount of oil in your engine, your car's supposed to be on the flat, not on a slope. So there is a right way and a wrong way of checking your faith. 
if we highlight our faults, if we start knocking ourselves because of our failings, then I believe it will have the opposite of the desired effect. And the level of our faith, in fact, will drop. What we need to do is to set the faith we do have, no matter how small we might think it is. And remember, Jesus said, faith even as small as a grain of mustard seed will what? Remove mountains. So no matter how small we feel it is, we must make sure that it will be centred on Jesus. One writer puts it like this, do not fret about examining your faith, trying its limbs, feeling its pulse, watching its colour, measuring its work. See rather that your faith is set on the living Christ. Care for Christ and Christ will care for your faith. There's a, a, a strange verse in 2 Corinthians that some people misunderstand. It says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Now, set in its context, that does not mean keep examining your faith and wondering whether you are or are not a Christian. That will just breed doubt. What it means, set in its context, is that we should not doubt the faith we already have or constantly analyse it, but rather we should make sure that we apply that faith, examine it in that sense. Or as the NEB puts it, are you living a life of faith? I want to give you one example of what it means to check our faith in the wrong way. A church had fallen on hard times. Numbers were low, there was trouble in the worship group and with respect to Jono, whose musical ability I always appreciate, but musicians, creative as they are, can sometimes have bust-ups. <laughs> That's why you're on your own. <laughs> so, so, I'm sure that isn't the case. You, you, I'm sure you get on very well with Joe. But in this church, there was trouble in the worship group. Um, there were financial problems, there was a shortage of leaders, and there were other difficulties. But sometimes on Sunday, when they still sang hymns in church, and they're not all bad hymns, they would sometimes sing Charles Wesley's hymn, and I love this hymn, Father of Jesus Christ, my Lord. One verse of that hymn I particularly like, Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to that alone. Laughs at impossibilities and cries it shall be done. And they would sing that with great gusto. But on Monday and the rest of the week there were endless debates about what had gone wrong with the church. Change the pastor. That's often what people say. Or discussions which got deeper and deeper until they got deeper and deeper into depression. Now that will happen to us if we look at our faith in the wrong way. 
What our church, what this church needs, what my church needs, what every church needs, what we all need is a redirection of our faith. So, let's take a look now more closely at what this really means to have faith like that Syrophoenician woman. A tourist came to the edge of the Grand Canyon. I visited it once. It's My wife... Uh, to me, it was just a big hole in the ground. I preferred Hoover down. But a tourist came to the Grand Canyon, and thankfully this did not happen to us, lost his footing and plunged over the side. And if you saw how deep it was, that must have been ter- terrifying. Fortunately, they were able to hang on to a gorse bush. And filled with terror, they cried out to heaven, Is there anyone up there? Anyone up there? And a calm and powerful voice said, Yes, there is. And the man replied, Can you, can you please help me? And the calm voice replied, Yes, I probably can. What's your problem? <laughs> I fell over the cliff. I'm dangling in space, holding on a bush that's about to be unrooted. Please, please help me. The voice from above said, I'll try to help you, but do you believe? Oh yes, I believe, said the desperate man. Do you have faith, said the voice from above. Oh yes, I have strong faith. And then the calm voice said, well in that case, simply let go of the bush and everything will turn out fine. There was a tense pause and the tourist yelled out, is there anyone else up there? (laughs) You see, it's one thing for us to talk about faith, it's one thing for me to preach about faith, it's quite another thing, isn't it, to act on faith. The first thing I want to say about having the right kind of faith is that it's not something we manufacture ourselves. You know, like the courage we might have to, um, for my wife, crossing Amazon, crossing a busy road in a city. She, she, she's terrified. It's not a case of gripping our teeth and saying to ourselves, I, I really must have faith. I do not believe that that's the way that faith came to that woman whose daughter was healed. True faith is essentially a gift of God. He drops it into our life as he did when we first became a Christian. What we must do is act on that faith, exercise it if we want to see it grow. The woman went to Jesus and through prayer, that's what we must do. A couple of months ago, Chris and I were at the Swanwick Christian Centre theological conference and it reminded us of a time in that same centre when 14 and a half years ago my, my wife was miraculously healed. Um, we were about to, to take a group of young people to Cape Town to a place called Mandalay, a district of Cape Town to run a mission in a Baptist church And my wife was not at all sure whether she'd be able to go. 
because along with her other health issues, she had developed very severe angina. She'd been taken into hospital and she could hardly move the distance of this church without it causing incredible pain. Because of the mission, we decided to pay for an angiogram, um, but when we went to this conference, the leader of the meeting had said, I think later in the service we will pray for the sick. There was a Frenchman speaking that night and he groaned on and on and on. And um, being the man of age that I, I needed the loo. So I went to spend a penny. When I came back, I saw my wife who was convinced by word of knowledge that God was going to heal her. I actually saw her, the first person, running to the front. No heroics, three pastors, the the French pastor and our general superintendent, laid hands on my wife, prayed for her very quietly. When she got home, Stoke contacted us to say that um, if she was able to come on Christmas Eve, they could fit her in, which would mean um, I like would save me a whole packet of money from having the test done privately. She went, and two things pleased my wife as she was having the angiogram. The, the doctor kept saying, young lady, she liked that bit, young lady, how long did you say you'd been an insulin-dependent diabetic? And she mentioned over 30 years. And he said, I, I am staggered at the state of your heart. It is so, so good. And then she went to see her diabetic specialist and he said, well, I'm, I'm, Chris, I am, I am truly surprised at the state of your heart. Uh, and then my wife gulped and said, well, doctor, you might think I am mad, but I believe in the power of prayer. And the doctor said a few years ago, I would have said you were mad. But I have had too many people who have spoken of having, as he put it, a religious experience, and I believe it. And when she went for some tests at the Churchill Hospital in Oxford, they confirmed that she did not have angina. Remarkable faith. God's power to heal. So, from the 11th chapter of Hebrews... Let me try and define what truth is. Comparing what's mentioned there with this Syrophoenician woman. The first thing is this. Faith is believing when we don't see it. Faith is believing when we don't see it. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see says this first verse of that chapter. Sounds a contradiction, doesn't it? But the Bible tells us that faith is visualising the future in the present. It's been sure of what we can't see, as my wife was sure. It is seeing in advance. Man says seeing is believing, but God says believing is seeing. I don't know how many of you have seen that fascinating series uh, a, a week or two back on the BBC 
about earth from space. Absolutely fascinating what they can discover is happening on the surface of the earth because of the cameras in space. But in 1960, when John F. Kennedy stood up and said, let's put man on the moon by the end of the decade, um, technology had not invented, been invented to make that a possibility. And when you look at it in, in the Space Museum in America now, you wonder how on earth they ever got to the moon with such Heath Robinson technology. But they did it. Some things have to be believed before you see them. You've got to believe in advance. And in Christian terms, trusting God implicitly is turning dreams into reality. So let's ask ourselves now, each one of us, I'm asking myself the same question. What do we see in our future? What is our dream? What impossible things is God going to do in our life? Let's believe with all our heart this morning that if it's the will of God, then thank God it really will happen because Jesus said what is impossible with men is possible with God. And then from questions we ask about our own personal lives, you know, hopes perhaps for our family. Like Chris and I praying that um, young son will propose this a new hat. <laughs> or our desire to serve God. Or our relationships with others. Or other matters. What's our dream? And what do we as an, a congregation envision for the future of this church? And the leadership and the direction of your new pastor, Stephen. Is he planting within you the gift of faith that growth is going to happen even though you don't immediately see it. Faith is believing when we don't see it. The second thing is this, faith is obeying when we don't understand it. I find that obedience is invariably the key that opens up the life to God's promises. When Jesus told that Syrophoenician woman to go home, she did so. There was no tangible evidence at all. She didn't get an email. She didn't get a phone call to say your daughter, the demons left. She just believed. She was obedient and she went home. Another example of obedience in response to faith is mentioned in that chapter in Hebrews and it's Abraham. And there are some similarities we can make there between his faith and that of the woman whose daughter was healed. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed. And he went even though he did not know where he was going. That verse always amuses me because when I was in theological college as a very young man, I was told I was going to Greenock in Scotland to be an assistant minister. And I hadn't a clue where Greenock was. And someone quoted this verse to me. He went out not knowing where he was going. <laughs> now, for me, three things stand out about his faith. 
And it's true of that woman. In Ur of Chaldees, the Lord said to him, leave your country, your people, your father's household, go to the land I will show you. And in response to that, Abraham obeyed. And faith is always an obedient response to the word of God. It happened that way when we first became a Christian. Faith came by hearing, hearing the message. The message is the word of God. It happened for my wife when she believed God was going to heal her, so she ran to the front. If we merely respond emotionally to the appeal of a preacher, I don't believe that's true faith. But when we hear what God is saying to us, when we have a God moment, and when we respond to it, then he's placing true faith in our heart. These things are written that you might believe, says John 20 verse 31. It's living a life of faith. Some Christians I find... Um, Christians can be the strangest of people at times. They want some kind of mysterious feeling to come creeping over them. And if it doesn't, they don't think that they have faith. But that isn't faith. Rather, we've simply got to take God at his word. Circumstances, of course, make us vulnerable. Um, You could be saying... Pastor Trevor, that's exactly how I feel right now. I look at Abraham's faith, I look at that Syrophoenician woman's faith, and my faith is nothing like that. But Colossians 2 verse 6 says, just as you have received Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. In other words, we began with faith, faith in the word of God. And we must continue in faith. We walk by faith, not sight, says another verse. And the same thing to notice about his faith is it was patient. Verse 15 says, After waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, the woman did not get immediate evidence that her daughter had been delivered of the demon. She had to wait until she got home. And what was promised to Abraham that he would become a great nation took a long time to happen. In fact, at one point he got impatient and he thought, God's forgotten the promise. So, encouraged by his wife, he slept with his maidservant, Hagar. You know the story. And from that, the Arab nations, as we know today, sprang. It was 25 years before Sarah, at the age of 99, uh, that would give any of us a nightmare, wouldn't it? Had a baby. Impatience on our part never steers us in God's direction. It works against faith. So Abraham had to get back to a place of trust, waiting patiently to receive what he'd been promised. Now, as Christians, we often want results from God on demand. It has to be instant, because that's the age that we live in. But to each one of us, he's saying, rest in me. Wait patiently. Some of you could be burdened about your husband, who's not a believer, or a wife, who's not a believer, or members of your family, who are not Christians. 
You've been praying for them for a very long time. And that burden for them has now become a frustration. And dare I say it, you may have stopped praying. So much so, it's hindering your prayers. Then listen, God is calling you this morning to be patient. He's saying, just trust me and I'll work in their life. So faith must rest on the word of God. Faith must be patient. And the third thing, faith sometimes has to take risks. Now, this really is the acid test, like the, the man in the Grand Canyon leaving go of the bush. What are we prepared to stake on the one we claim to trust? In business, a man has to take measured risks. He has to invest his money, his time, his skill in what he feels will be worthwhile and what is a profit. In fact, I read a story about, it's a true story, about a C of E chaplain in the south of England whose daughter whose grandfather, rather, when he was a young man, was asked by a man called Smith to put £200 into a project. And the grandfather said, well, what's the project? He says, well, I'm going to do something with potatoes. Will you risk £200? And the man wasn't willing, so he lost his fortune and his name was never associated with those famous crisps. Forgive my saying, I bet that left a nasty taste <laughs> in his mouth. And there has to be a risk element in our Christian life if we're going to go places with God. Many times I find I stand back, I accept defeat... I'm afraid to step out on God's promises, but we never ever test the resources of God until we're prepared to take some risks. When that woman, as a Gentile, approached Jesus, she's a non-Jew, and Jesus first came to the Jews, and she could have had endless debates with us on the that he'll reject me, he won't receive me, but she took a risk. When Abraham left Ur of Chaldees to go to a place that God told him about, he took a risk. He risked his security. And I don't know about you, that is the one thing I don't like to lose. My security, especially financial security. I'll risk a lot of other things, but not that. Now, I'm not suggesting for one moment that we should take unnecessary risks. Certainly not. That would be plainly ridiculous. In the name of so-called faith, that's what some Christians have done. I believe God expects us to be wise and thoughtful in our decision-making. But what I am saying is that sometimes faith has to step forward without any guarantees except the greatest guarantee of all, the promise of God. So again, and I ask myself the same question, what about our faith? Is it ready to take risks? God kept his promise to that Syrophoenician woman. He kept his promise to Abraham in the Old Testament. And God always keeps his promise for us if we're ready to trust him. There's one final thing I want to say. I told you that faith is believing when we don't see it. 
Faith is believing or obeying when we don't understand it. And the final thing is this. Faith is trusting when we don't get it. However great our faith is, there will be some things we fail to understand. And while God, I believe, always hears and answers every prayer, he doesn't always answer our prayer in the way we want it answered. Have you found that to be true? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. His timing is perfect. And we should never ever think of prayer, and it's my problem with certain faith movements, where they think of faith as a kind of vending machine, giving us exactly what we want. A vending machine could give us things that are high in calories. A vending machine could give us sugary drinks that are not good for us. God will only give us what's for our good. And living by faith certainly doesn't exempt us from problems. But our faith in God can make us triumph. We may ask the Lord to remove our difficulty, but instead he might give us the strength to go through our difficulty. My wife has had some remarkable healings. She had one recently when last week in Harrogate and she but my wife is still a diabetic. So there are some things that we don't understand but we know that God loves us and because he loves us he's far more interested in our character than our comfort. My strength is made perfect in weakness. He wants to make us people of integrity, people of stability, and this can only happen when we learn to depend on him in the tough times as well as the more pleasant experiences in life. Faith is believing without evidence, but in another sense it's believing on the highest possible evidence, that of God's word which is settled in heaven. And this could well be something that, as I close, something you need to hear this morning. Over the past few weeks, few months, or even few years, weeds of doubt have begun to wrap themselves around you, like bindweed in our garden, which I hate. And it's choking you. Then if that is the case... God is longing now in this service perhaps when you just least expected it just a bank holiday Sunday I'll, I'll, I'll just go to church but sometimes God can speak powerfully to us and God is longing now to release you from those weeds of doubt to lift those weeds to remove the roots completely He's calling you to a renewal of faith. A faith like that of that Syrophoenician woman in the New Testament. A faith like that of Abraham's in the Old Testament. The Bible says we live by faith, not by sight. Living by faith means bypassing what we see and what we feel. It means seeing answered prayer through God's eyes. Not as a hope, but thank God as an accomplished fact. Let's make that our resolve now, shall we, as we bow our heads in prayer.
Lord, your word is powerful. Your word is able to discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. Your word, Lord, is like looking in a mirror and seeing ourselves as we really are. Your word is so powerful, it's as if someone has read our private mail. It knows what we're thinking. It knows how we're acting. It knows when doubt has wrapped itself around our life. Help us not to resist that gentle challenge of your Holy Spirit. But help us to respond and to believe that God is able to give us greater faith. And though with man things are impossible, with God all things are possible. In Jesus' name. Amen. I read the other day, yesterday in fact, the testimony of Jackie Pullinger. And when I read it, going to Hong Kong, just trusting God, I thought, she, an older lady now, I want to finish as she started and to have strong faith. And I trust that's your desire too. God bless you all.